0: With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
2: Hi, this is Vivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Emmanuel Acho is the author of Illogical, Saying Yes to a Life Without Limits. Emmanuel, the son of Nigerian immigrant parents, grew up in Dallas with his three siblings. He is a number one New York Times bestselling author and the host producer of the Emmy award-winning Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. His groundbreaking online series, intended to drive meaningful dialogue around racial insensitivity and ignorance, launched in June 2020 with more than 90 million views to date. Manuel is a 2021 Sports Emmy winner, Fox Sports analyst, co-host, FS1, Speak for Yourself, and television personality. He is a former NFL linebacker and has a master's degree in sports psychology from the University of Texas. And by the way, he has won two Emmys, which we will talk about in the episode. Welcome, Emmanuel. Welcome back on Mom's Center, Time to Read Bugs to discuss Illogical, saying yes to a life without limits. Amazing. I can't believe you have another book out already. That was so fast.
0: You and me both. But what's so interesting, I was actually writing this book before my New York Times bestseller Uncomfortable Conversations ever was a thought. So Illogical, I have started writing back in... March of 2020, and Uncomfortable Conversations, I didn't even begin until June of 2020. So logical has always been my destination. Uncomfortable Conversations was a detour.
2: Got it. Still fast, though. Yeah. <laughs> Still, a lot of publicity to do, and events, and emails, and all the rest. Right? Quick.
0: Exactly right.
2: Oh my gosh! And I feel like the Emmys. Did you have those last time? I don't think so. <laughs>
0: I didn't. I don't think I had either of them. Right? And then we have two more Emmys in two more books since we last spoke.
2: Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, the young version, young children's version, young readers' version as well. Yeah, I love Perfect. how they're just casually placed behind you for people listening to this podcast. They're just like casually on little stands behind his bookshelf as if they're lamps. And you have to look closely and realize, oh no, the two matching things are not lamps. They're actually Emmys. So I love it. Very subtle. He's uh, laughing. He's laughing. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Well, I found this book fascinating because you really let us into your early life, the things that shaped you during your career, your family, your injuries, your even your success with uncomfortable conversations with black men. It was so interesting. But one thing I wanted to start with while we we're talking is the, is the voice injury you had, because I've literally ne- really never heard of that happening before. Anyway, tell me about that.
0: So I say on your journey towards being illogical, you're going to make some mistakes and things are going to go wrong along the way. For me, when I was doing uncomfortable conversations with a black man, I burst a blood vessel in my vocal cord. Like, true story. Even right before this call, I had to do vocal warm ups where I'm like. "Mm." For those that can't hear the specifics, it's as though my voice is revving up and down an engine. I have to do things where I take a towel and I stretch my tongue. So anyway, true story. I burst blood vessels in my vocal cords. And before I sat down with the commissioner of the National Football League, Roger Goodell, I could not talk for a week. And so my team would talk to me on calls and I would text them back and in order to navigate how I was going to have my conversation with the commissioner of the NFL, where we were going to discuss the hot rod topic of Colin Kaepernick, I literally had to communicate that entire week simply by text and email. All that to say, I believe when people are on their journey of being illogical, bad things are going to happen and you're going to have to overcome them. That was my bad thing.
2: Wow. So was it too much talking? Was it talking too loudly? How do I avoid this happening to me is what I really Uh, want to
0: know. (laughs) Well,
2: the issue... is all about me.
0: (laughs) Because of my daily sports shows, I have to project. And so I don't just get to talk like this during my daily sports show. I got to sit here and argue whether LeBron James is supposed to be the greatest. And that really was the dilemma is I wasn't speaking enough with my diaphragm. And instead, I was speaking too much like with my throat. And pop
2: goes the blood vessel. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm really sorry that happened.
0: I know. like, But we're better now. We are better now.
2: Wow. I feel like I should ask you what you think about Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, just so I can impress you that I even knew that that happened today. Did I impress you?
0: <laughs> that is incredibly impressive, particularly as I look at you with no sports posters behind you, but roughly a thousand books, and none <laughs> if, of them contain Russell Wilson.
2: If we were one flight down my in my husband's lair, he has a football helmet from every single team lined up in shelves just like this.
0: There we go. I would be more comfortable there. No, um, (laughs) I said that Russell Wilson, the second greatest thing in his career is going to Denver to the Broncos. First greatest being drafted by Seattle. I think it is a huge win for both.
2: Okay. Yeah. Don't even really talk about it. I don't even know. (laughs) Okay. Back to the book. You talked about your experience not getting the draft pick that you wanted and how disappointing that was and going through the experience and your brother and his experience and managing the setbacks and getting over it. And then even when you got there, sort of finding out that you were listed on the board as about to be cut, which sounded terrible. Tell me more about that. The Don't don't tell me loudly. Tell me in a a nice
0: (laughs) inside voice. (laughs) The most trying story of my adult professional career... I was in Philadelphia. I had just been traded. And what people don't realize, when you get traded, you leave a city and you never go back. I got called into the Cleveland Browns office. I was playing for the Cleveland Browns at the time. They're like, hey, Emmanuel, just want to let you know you're going to Philadelphia. We've traded you to the Eagles. I'm like, okay, cool. When am I leaving? Next week? No, you have a flight in three hours. We'll pack your bags for you. We'll order a moving company. We'll get you there. I go to Philly. Months later, I am in one of our coach's offices. Now, Zibby, I'm trying to brown nose, right? I'm sitting in the coach's office, kind of trying to suck up. It's like a, a student who knows they need to get a good grade in the class. You always go to after hours and office hours. That's the equivalent of what I was doing. While sitting in the coach's office, I looked at his wall, and his wall had a depth chart. For those that don't know, a depth chart simply says, what order you fall on the team. It has the first, second, and third of every position. So this is our starter, this is our backup, and this is our bench warmer. I looked at linebacker. That was a position I played, but I couldn't find my name. So maybe I'm thinking, surely they just misplaced it. Let me check. I don't know. Defensive lineman, another position in football. No name there. Maybe they accidentally put my name under like quarterbacks. No name there. Running backs. No name there. I peruse to the very bottom of the depth chart, and I see these words in big letters, CUT, C-U-T. In football vernacular, and football terms, CUT means you are going to be fired. They just haven't gotten around to firing you yet. There were four names under the word cut. My name being one of the four, one of the names had already been cut earlier that day. So I am freaking out. I instantly lose my appetite. My heart sinks to the bottom of my stomach. I exit the coach's office. I go to the bathroom. I lock myself in a stall. I get down on my knees and I literally just start praying. Cause I'm like, why? I didn't ask to come to Philly, but now I'm in Philly and I'm about to be cut For those that don't know, in the NFL, when you are cut, you go on what is called a waiver wire. Very simply, any of the other 31 teams in the NFL can claim you. So you can go from Philadelphia to Denver, from Philadelphia to Green Bay, from Philadelphia to Dallas with the Cowboys, from Philadelphia to Los Angeles against your will. You have no choice or no input. When you get cut, any team can claim you and you must instantly go there. So remember, I'm a 22-year-old man who's been drafted from Austin, Texas, where I played in college, to Cleveland. I've now been traded and I now see my name under these huge letters that say cut. At that moment in my life, I thought to myself as I'm praying in the bathroom stall and I now realize there's somebody next to me on the toilet. True story. (laughs) At that point in my life, I said, I might be crazy. And when I mention this story in in illogical, this is one of my favorite stories because I overcame it. But when I mention this story in illogical, I say that everybody's going to have an I might be crazy moment on their journey to being illogical. And it's whether you have to quit your six-figure job to go start a new business, whether you have to empty your young 401k account so that you can afford this home, whether you have to sell all your possessions to move to a foreign city overseas because you want to do some sort of refugee work, whether you break up with somebody you've dated for eight years and you were engaged to, but you know it's just not the right person for you, everybody's going to have a I might be crazy moment, but the operative word there is might because you're perfectly sane and you're wildly illogical. And I just believe that our roads and our destiny to maximizing our life's calling and a life without limits is the checkpoint of the, I might be crazy moment.
2: And your whole theory of your calling is your calling, right? Like this whole thing became your calling. And you were like, this is all on the road to being who I was meant to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, well, people get so lost trying to figure out their calling. And I say, your calling is what you're made for. Your career is what you're paid for. Every now and then, those two things intertwine, but not always. The other beautiful thing I say in the book, and I hope it's beautiful, but beauty's in the eye of the beholder or the listener. Your calling is your calling, it's not a conference call.
2: Yes, I loved that line. True
0: story. If you read read the acknowledgments of my first book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I say, Meredith, one of my book agents, I love her to death. I say, I'm going to tell the story of you in another book. The other book happens to be illogical. When I wanted to write Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I was called to do so. Oh no,
2: you're going to name her the person who told you not to do it?
0: Uh, and Meredith wasn't actually who told me not to do oh, it. Okay, Meredith, okay, okay. Yeah,
2: okay.
0: yeah, no, Meredith is my person. Meredith is my okay, okay, few, few, few. When I got called to do uncomfortable conversations with a black man, there was a, it was a calling. I had to do it. But people on my team and my friends were like, hey, the market is too saturated for a book like that. And I was like, what do you mean it's too saturated for a book like that? I have to do it. It's a calling of mine. And it took me a year to be to realize my calling is my calling. It wasn't a conference call. Mm -hmm. Meaning nobody told the people on my team of my calling. So while it looked reckless to other people, and while they realized there are already books out how to be an anti-racist, there are already books out. So you want to talk about race. There are already books out. I had to realize my calling is my calling. Meredith stood behind me actually and partnered with me and repping me is, is executing it.
2: going to get on my bulletin board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's genuinely a secret. And I hope everybody listening really takes a moment, pauses and digest this in their mind, heart and soul. Because when we do things in life that are illogical, People are gonna think it's just that, it's crazy. Why would you ever do it? But you have to realize it wasn't their calling. I talked about the story, which is also a movie, the story of Noah. And if those didn't see the movie or don't know the religious story, Noah was called by God to build a boat, roughly, I think, three quarters the size of the Titanic. It took 60 to 80 years. Theologians submit and put animals on it two by two. Imagine how ludicrous. That is, because theologians also submit that the earth had never seen rain. And so you're building a boat, but the earth had never seen rain. That is the dumbest thing ever until what I write about in the book, and I believe a chapter title, the first drop of rain. Mm-hmm until after Noah finishes building that ark and he gets on it with his loved ones and all the animals are on it and he looks out the window, he looks up into the sky and smack, he gets hit in the middle of his brow and it's the first drop of rain which lets him know a flood is coming. When you're on your journey of being illogical, you're going to have that first drop of rain moment and personalizing it for me, taking it from a movie and a religious story to my life. Uncomfortable conversations with a black man where I sit down in front of a camera for nine minutes and it gets 25 million views in five days i got a first drop of rain it was a call from a no caller id number which i picked up and it said the call person on the other line said acho mcconaughey speaking i want to have a conversation zibby i've told you this story before and that was that was my first drop of rain because once mcconaughey called me i didn't realize but now i know the flood is coming Oprah called five days later, the commissioner of the NFL called five days later, and the Emmys followed and the best-selling books followed. That to say, we just have to build our boat. We just have to take that illogical step of doing what other people might chastise us for, but we're called to do it. Mm-hmm. And with me writing uncomfortable conversations, I was called to do it. To those listening, I promise you are called to do something. Now you might be asked, well, what the heck am I called to do? I also say this, your calling will call you. Just pick it up. Another mm, your, call- your calling is going to call you. And so many people are sitting here trying to search for their calling in life. When their calling has already called them, they're just letting the phone ring. Mm. My calling literally called me. McConaughey, Oprah, Roger Goodell. Three no-caller ID calls that changed my life and changed the trajectory of my life. But to those listening, your calling will likely be a figurative calling. It might be that internal yearning to to start that business, that internal yearning to start that family, that internal yearning to quit your job. Your calling is calling you. You just have to pick it up. We spend so much time ignoring our calling, searching for our calling, not realizing it's already calling us.
2: It's so true.
0: That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash loss
2: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. dot com slash moms don't have time I feel like some people are quick to put it aside because they think it's like not important enough or this couldn't possibly be it I have a friend who's like amazing at gift giving and calligraphy and whatever she's like but that's just something I enjoy that's not a call that's not and I'm like no that's it that's your thing
0: that is oh my okay you brought me to such a phenomenal point that's your thing I believe it was June 9th 2020. I had just finished doing a show with Oprah. It was Oprah conversation on Apple TV meets uncomfortable conversations. And I got, well, I missed the call. Piece of advice if Oprah calls you, don't miss the call. <laughs> I missed the call. And Oprah's right hand woman, she rushes into the room. Hey, Emmanuel, great job, but Oprah just called you. I checked my phone. I'm exhausted. I just finished a two hour show electronically. And y'all know how much that takes out of you. So I look, I call Oprah back. This is all she says. You have the thing, my friend, you have the thing. And coming from someone who has the thing and had the thing, you, my friend, you have the thing. My world changed that day because I was like, wait a second, this woman who's the greatest TV person in the history of television is telling me I have the thing. I said, Oprah, what is the thing? She said, you have the ability to deliver hard truths to people and they still want to hear it. With that being said, Zibi, I fully co-signed what you told your friend. That calligraphy, that's your thing. Like everyone, everyone listening has the thing. They just have to find the thing, develop the thing, and utilize the thing. But everyone has the thing. And in illogical, I'm simply talking about, you know, find your thing. And it might be illogical. And when I say illogical, logic is simply conventional wisdom. So being illogical is just going against conventional wisdom. Everybody has the thing. We just have to find our things and use our things, but we all have it.
2: So true. I think if people, if a group, if everyone is saying maybe you shouldn't do that or they don't understand, that's a cue that it's either a really good idea or maybe not a good idea at all. <laughs> but it's, it's probably one of the two things because people exactly. like to feel safe. They like to recommend safe ideas or they base it on what they know. And mm-hmm. nothing, nothing will ever change if you just keep basing every improvement on something that was there before it.
0: That's so good. Um, one of the, my favorite quotes I recently heard, the most dangerous phrase we can ever utter is that's the way it's always been done. Totally. The most dangerous phrase we can ever utter. And that's what so many of us do. Like, well, well, that's the way it's always been done. Well, my family's never left this small city outside of Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. So why would I leave? My family's been in Austin, Texas for three generations now. That's just the way it's always been done. And I'll say this one other quote, Will Smith's new book, he says, people's advice is exactly that, it's theirs. They're giving it to you based upon their limited experience and life experience. He says, you and now are a unique combination that has never existed before, of which you are the most reliable source for the outcome. You and now are a unique combination that's never existed before, of which you are the most reliable source of the outcome. So when talking about being illogical, you're the most reliable source for the outcome. Because you would now have literally never existed. So we have to stop depending upon what other people have to say. Maybe I recently said, well, you might leave me there, but. (laughs) Go for it. We're so afraid of other people's failures and not other people's failures. We're more afraid of other people's fears. Mm -hmm. I I, I just posted mortuosqueous phobia. You know what that is?
2: I don't. I'm sorry. I didn't look at your post before this.
0: Mortuosqueous phobia. It is the fear of ketchup. It is a real thing. Um, In sixth grade, I was at my friend's house and my friend, him and I were eating a burger. His older brother walks in and throws something at the table. My friend scurries behind the couch and gets in a fetal position screaming. I'm like, what the heck did his brother just throw at this table that sent my friend behind the couch? I look at it and it was a ketchup packet. After checking on my friend, I literally busted ketchup packet open and I started eating my fries. I realized a lesson that day. We can't be afraid of other people's fears. Mm-hmm. And we are so often afraid of other people's fears, not even our own. Genuinely, it's like somebody else doesn't wanna get in a relationship. So we're like, oh no, we gotta stay single. Somebody else is afraid of being single. So we're like, oh man, we gotta stay in this toxic relationship. Somebody doesn't wanna quit this job because they don't know what life is like as an entrepreneur. So they're like, oh, I gotta stay in this job too. Zippy, we're not even afraid of our own fears. like. <laughs> We're afraid of other people's fears. And it's the most wild concept to me. So I also just expand on that notion of, let's stop being afraid of other people's fears.
2: It's so true. And by the way, since we last spoke, I started my own publishing company precisely because I wanted to do things differently. And that was the answer I kept hearing. And so now I started this company and my my co-founder has been in publishing forever and our consulting publisher, and they keep saying things. And I'm like, But why? Like, but why do we have to do it that way? Okay, I get it, but what if we did this? Like, why? And then we start going in a whole new direction. But if you don't ask, right, nothing's ever going to change. Oh my
0: God, that's so brilliant. And it's not only asking if you don't act, nothing else is going to change. That's true, yes. I love what you did, and congrats on that publishing company that you started. I'm incredibly proud of you because-
2: Thank
0: you. You have to ask and you have to act. May 5th, 1952 nobody had ever run a mile in under four minutes. Nearly 2000, nobody had run a mile in under four minutes. And Roger Bannister, he asked himself, is it possible? Because scientists said it was physically impossible to run a mile in under four minutes. Well, after Roger Bannister asked himself, is it possible? He then acted, and on May 6th, 1952, for the first time in the history of the world, a man ran a mile in under four minutes, three minutes, 59 seconds. Within the next two years, 10 people ran a mile in under four minutes. Why? Because one person asked and then one person acted in Roger Bannister and everybody else then realized it was possible. See, Roger Bannister broke that mental dam, if you will. And once the dam breaks, the floodgates are open. And so I write, I have a chapter when the dam breaks but it perfectly segues to your point of you got to ask and then you got to act and then you got to break the dam because what's so interesting, I think 1800 people now have run a mile in under four minutes and the world record for the mile is three minutes, 43 seconds now. So it's dropped by 17 seconds since Roger Bannister, but nobody talks about anybody, but Roger Bannister, because he was the first. And so it's all the matter of, I just want to encourage and implore people Just go be the first of whatever it is that you want to do and when you want to do great.
2: I don't think I could even walk to the kitchen in less than three minutes and forty-three seconds. (laughs) I mean that's like no time. That's like nothing. That's like, you know, an email. I don't know. That's really fast. That's really fast. Yeah. For the business, I was just sort of like, well, why not me? Right? If it it could be anybody doing these things, right? And I think that's the whole thing. Like why not me? If everybody said it shouldn't be me, nothing ever would get done. Like, right. If you kept, if you said that to yourself, it's not like somebody else would have stepped in and done your conversation series and ended up with all the success. It just wouldn't have happened. So why not you? Like,
0: and there's, there's so many voids in our society because people don't often ask themselves that question. Why not me? And the true answer is it is you. Mm-hmm. Like why not me? Is a rhetorical question, but the answer is no. It absolutely is you. Like Zibi, you were the one to start that publishing company. Emmanuel, you were the one to have conversations about race and racial reconciliation. There is no why not me. The answer is it absolutely is you. So it's like to everyone listening who's saying, "Well, I can't," or "It's not me." You're no, no, no. It. I promise, it is you.
2: Yeah, and I don't know about you. I was like, well this might be a total failure, but it won't be a failure if I know I've tried and I've tried to do everything, then that's not a personal failure. Like it might fail as a company. I don't think it will, but you know, if, if I try, that's all I can do. So yeah. I don't
0: yeah. Know. No, I, I love that. because I've, I've failed so many times as you have, as we all have, as, and we will continue to, but then I finally had to realize I didn't fail. I fell. And as long Mm. as I get up, I win.
2: You have so many of these great little nuggets. These great (laughs) like (laughs) When are you coming out with the t-shirt line? Like, this is perfect.
0: (laughs) I I live by quotes and things that come to me. And one day I realized, I was like, wait a second. I didn't fail. I fell.
2: Yeah, I love that. As long as
0: I get up, I win. And to your point, it's like, even when you don't succeed, you didn't fail, guys and gals. Like, you just fell. And the beauty of falling is we can always get up and keep moving forward.
2: Okay. So what is the next thing coming from you? Like Oscar, what, like where are we headed here? What, what's coming?
0: My objective, because I do not believe in goals, and that is the hottest topic I write about in the book, illogical, I don't believe in goals. I believe in having an objective without limitations. I just want to be considered one of the most creative people the industry has ever seen.
2: Just? You, that's all I yeah. want?
0: <laughs> um, <you laughs> I just want <know>, that. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Like, if you have an objective, an objective is subjective because an objective is subject to people's opinion. People say, Acho, what the heck? What's the difference between goals and an objective? A goal, by dictionary definition, is the end towards which energy is directed. A goal literally starts with an end, mm. an objective is just simply energy directed towards something. Mm. So when I say I want an objective, I have an objective with no limitations. I'm directing my energy towards being one of the most creative people the industry has ever seen. But because there is no end, I cannot fail. That's why I start the book very simply with its own dedicated page, Imagine a Life Without Failure. Because I currently live to be in a life where I can't fail. And I can't fail because I don't set goals. I just simply set objectives. I don't work with an end in mind. I just worked with an infinite number of possibilities ahead of me.
2: Okay, well, I will keep my eyes peeled and follow every second because you never know what's coming next from you. But I'm very excited to see, and I think having an objective to be the most creative person in industry—that's just pretty awesome. You just can't top that as an objective, not a goal. So, good <laughs> Thank
0: luck. You. Thank <laughs> you so much. Get all those postcards, turn them into T-shirts, and I'll partner with you on the business. We can start it like your publishing company.
2: Done. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs>